In this episode, I am joined by my friend Joe Parker. Now, a few years ago, Joe said goodbye to the rat race and the corporate grind to start a successful e-commerce business with his wife using the power of Amazon. Now, Joe has multiple brands across several different markets and platforms. And inside, Joe will share his story as well as many tips that you can use in your own business as well. But before we get after it and get started, I wanted to present a special offer from my sponsor, Fredos.com. You might be stuck working remotely, but as the world goes digital, it's time for every aspect of your business to catch up, even your international freight. Fredos.com propels business growth with smoother shipping solutions. On Fredos.com, you can compare, book, and manage your shipments all in one place. Fredos.com gives you the freedom to switch between logistics providers, pairing you with the best one for all of your shipments. No matter which provider you use, you get shipment tracking, documentation management, credit, and support in one place. As a special offer for my listeners, that's you guys, Fredos, will take $100 off your first booking over $1,000. That's right. Go to fredos.com forward slash PL show and use coupon code FR. 8 podcast to try it for your business. Okay, enough of that. Let's get started. Welcome to episode number 158 of the Private Labeler Show. I am your wonderful host, Nick Landowski, and I am super pumped that you guys are here today for yet another amazing episode. Please make sure to subscribe to the show and leave a review on iTunes if you haven't yet already. Now, in just a minute, I'm going to be joined by my friend Joe Parker, and Joe has actually been a longtime listener of the podcast, and I wanted to bring him on so he could share his story as well, obviously, as for him to share some great tips and strategies and things that he's doing in his business. Now, a while back, I actually put out a post in my Facebook group asking sellers and asking the listeners of the podcast if anybody wanted to jump on for an episode to share their story because I think that stuff's really, really important. So a little while later, here we are. And these are really like my favorite kind of episodes to put together for you guys. It's real listeners of the podcast having real success in e-commerce and sharing details about how they did it. So we're going to cover a whole host of topics and make sure you stay tuned until the very end because I'm going to recap a few of my key takeaways with you guys. And certainly, if you guys have any questions for Joe or just want to connect with him about something, then please feel free to do that. And you can find him in our Facebook group. And if you're not yet a member of our Facebook group, I don't know what you're doing with your life. We need to have a a talk. But uh, make sure you get joined up to the Facebook group by going to privatelabelershow.com forward slash FB or just go right to your search bar in Facebook and type in Amazon FBA and then filter by groups. So get joined up if you are not yet a member. Okay, so here is my conversation with the one and only Joe Parker. Hey everybody, please welcome Mr. Joe Parker to the show. Welcome, Joe. Thanks for having me, Nick. Really appreciate being here. Been a long time listener and it's really good to uh, 
finally get on your show. You yeah, yeah. That, I appreciate you. Podcast, so I really appreciate it. We got a first timer here, everybody. This is going to be a lot of fun. So <laughs> thanks for thanks for jumping on here. Uh, I know we've been kind of chatting back and forth for a while. And again, I do appreciate you listening to the podcast. In fact, that's how we kind of got linked up, uh, kind of in, introduced to each other through the podcast. Um, I think I threw it out there a while ago of like, hey, you know, who's who's doing well and kind of wants to jump on a podcast here from a seller's point of view. You know, I know obviously you're doing, you know, very well with your business and you kind of raised your hand and uh, a little bit while later, here we are. So I guess uh, without further ado, if you just want to kind of introduce yourself a little bit, we'll dive into a lot of your details about how you have found this world of e-commerce and Amazon and kind of what you did in your past life and things like that. We'll dive into that in, in kind of some detail, but uh, just for the listeners out there, Joe, uh, if you wouldn't mind just kind of just telling us a little bit about who you are. Sure thing. Um, you know, I've been at this Amazon game for about, it'll be two years in December. Um, we started um, doing a lot of research prior to that, but we finally pulled the trigger in December of 2018 on purchasing uh, a smaller business on the Empire Flippers Path platform. Just a couple of SKUs on the you know on the Amazon site, you know, a couple hundred thousand dollars in revenue, um, and just really wanted to try to get our feet wet with with an already established business. And uh, the goal the goal was really to to get an education and and learn and grow that business, and then transition into purchasing a larger income replacing business in late 2019. And so far, we're on track. Um, we've, we're managing right now, we're managing over 100 SKUs across six brands, across two, uh, two selling accounts. And we've had a lot of success. We've had some challenges. We've had you know, some growing pains and some learning experiences. Um, but overall, it's been a pretty, uh, pretty exciting uh, adventure so far. And I think we've achieved some of our intermediate goals. It's just a matter of how do we take it to the next level. So that's where awesome. we're at. And my wife and I do this full time. Yeah, that was my next question. You say we, so it's a two-man team. So you guys are are uh, kind of at it every day with each other uh, on the business front and having some success. That's awesome. So what were you guys doing before you found this whole e-commerce world, this the whole Amazon thing? What what was that like? So uh, I was in I was in uh, brick and mortar retail for about twenty years, um, and like the last twelve or so years, I was in. Uh, brick and mortar buying. So both as a buyer and as a merchandise manager. Um, so very, very relatable business. And obviously, you know, looking and, and in those businesses, we did do some e-commerce for those, for those brick and mortar uh, sellers. And we we're always kind of keeping our eye on the, the gorilla in the room, Amazon. And, and through those activities, I, we decided that, you know, brick and mortar is definitely uh while still very viable and still very important, there's definitely been some contraction in the space and we felt like we needed to transition to something, something that would have a, a long-term future. So that's why, we, uh, that's why we made the jump to Amazon. So uh, my wife also worked in brick and mortar retail. She, she worked in more of the marketing and uh, product development side. So between the two of us, we had, you know, we touched on a lot of, of the functions that, you know, that an Amazon seller would need to need to utilize to grow and maintain an Amazon business. So you guys had matching or some skill sets from your past life, essentially that, and you said you found, well, Amazon because you were kind of watching it, right? You, you were paying attention to it in your line of work and things like that. And at the time, did you know that it was kind of uh, so easy for 
just, you know, I guess the average person or third party or whatever to start selling on Amazon? Or did you at one time maybe think like, oh, this, this is for bigger brands or, you know, other people beyond where I'm at right now? Like, how, how did you uh, get, I guess, essentially introduced to the whole platform of Amazon? So it is interesting. Uh, you know, I think for a lot of my brick and mortar career, we pretty much focused on Amazon as a competitor. And then the brands that we were dealing with in those businesses were, uh, you know, also selling on Amazon and we would, we, we, there would be a lot of back and forth between, you know, our suppliers and how they were supporting us versus how they were supporting Amazon. But we, I don't think we ever really thought about it very much from a third party perspective um, until probably the tail end of my career. So I'd probably say around, you know, 15, 16 is when I really started to understand what, you know, what the marketplace looked like, what, you know, what it would uh, bought and sold by Amazon meant versus, bought and sold by a third, you know, or, or, or sold by a third party and fulfilled by Amazon. Um, and once I started to realize that and some of the software tools out there, those tools have actually helped me um, do a little more market research in those prior roles. And through that, I was able to try to understand what it meant to be a third party seller on the Amazon platform. Okay. And, and did you... Um... I'm always just curious as far as like uh, training or like what resources people use to learn how to sell, let's just say on Amazon for lack of a better, you know, better words, whatever. Like, did you buy a course? Did you go to seminars? Did you just dive into podcasts, YouTube channels? Like, what did that look like? Like, how'd you educate yourself beyond where, where you were already at, you know, from your experience in your career? Yeah, I mean, it was a lot of, it was a lot of YouTube and podcasts. You know, fortunately, there are a number of, you know, between yourself and your peers out there that provide a lot of free content. Obviously, you know, when you, when you think about how you actually execute within the Amazon platform and how you move product through the supply chain and set up items and, you know, listing optimization, I don't feel like probably the podcast or YouTube route uh, really trains in that very well. I think, you know, it kind of gives a high level view of those things. I think once you get into the tactical and the execution mode, um, you, you either need help or you need, you know, you need, you need to invest in a course. Um, we were fortunate in that, like I said, we acquired two businesses and both of the, the people, both of the, the, um, resources who we acquired the businesses from gave us two different sets of training on how they manage their business mm. um, to, you know, to date, not may maybe so much the expansion, but how they actually executed the tactical day to day. So wh whether that's truly paying for coursework or just paying for the business, yeah, and, well, uh, we, we did mentorship. get the benefit of those people for sure. Yeah. Some mentorship. So yeah, that was helpful, obviously, right. When you, you had somebody to kind of lean on, that kind of walk you through the, cause I mean, let's be real. Like for a lot of people, if you're just starting into this e-commerce space, like to learn the A to Z's of everything, it's a lot of, it, it's a lot. There's so many different uh, layers to everything from talking to suppliers to marketing to just product research. I mean, there's a lot. And, uh, I think, yeah, the, right now more than ever, there's, there's a lot of amazing resources out there for people like you and I, or anybody listening that they can obviously go get help where they need it. So I'm always just kind of curious, you know, I just wanted to throw it out there, like how people kind of educated themselves or whatever. Yeah. And, you know, and, and, uh, you know, I'm a helium 10 subscriber, so I have access to some of that training that's available. And, you know, I think they do a really good job of kind of giving you a step-by-step, -step, you know, beginning to end on how to, how to, how to build out a listing, how to, how to, how to find what, what to buy and how to, 
how to build out a listing, how to market it, and how to you know, and how to grow a business. I think they give a lot of that training within their coursework and and through their through their uh, podcasts and content. Um, but there's others out there that do the same. So I, I've you know I've been fortunate that you know I have had some mentors, um, and I've had a lot of great people provide a lot of free information. So. Awesome. And then uh, you said, what do you have? Five brands or six brands that you are currently managing? Is yeah, that, six six brands as of today, and they're uh, all private label, right? They are all what, or brands like. Yeah, uh, what did you want to? What, pri- what, what would we consider private label? Although I do like to think about, you know, thinking about it as like a brand building um, exercise more than private label. I think that all of these, you know, I, I would like to think that all of these at one point could be on a brick and mortar shelf as a brand, um, and that we are we're we're managing a brand portfolio right now versus private label. Gotcha. And then uh, what would you say, just since you've been at this for a while, obviously you have, you know, a certain amount of success, which is amazing in a relatively short period of time. Uh, you, you've since left your, your corporate career at this point, right? Like you're full time on this business, correct? Full time, 100%. Okay. So um, what would you say just to the listeners out there, like maybe some of your things that you've taken away, like, like what, what struggles have you, did you have early on that you could maybe share and relate to the, the audience out there? I think having, uh, you know, struggled across a couple of different fronts. You know, one, one of the things um, that becomes really challenging is the logistics side of things, right? How do you get product from, from China to Amazon and what's the most efficient and cost-effective way of doing that? Um, and I think that, you know, if, you, if you've never done it before, and, and, and to be frank, I, you know, while I was a retail buyer and I had a pretty good understanding of what it took to get product on a container and move it across the ocean and, and move it into our warehouses and put it into our stores. I didn't really execute that function. So, you know, I wasn't dealing with freight forwarders and customs and things like that. So I think that was a, you know, don't take that too lightly and really think about and try to get some counsel on what the most cost effective ways of doing those are. Cause you can really, you can really, bleed a lot of margin within the supply chain by, you know, putting things into three PLs if you don't need to, or having to rework product because something was not done correctly, labeling wise, whatever, whatever the issue may be. If you don't kind of understand all of those steps, you can really like, you can, like I said, bleed out a lot of margin that you could have saved and put towards marketing or some other activity. Yeah. I, I think I'm on board with that as well. I, I've been, th- I've, I've been really diving into that in my business uh, as of late to figure out, okay, how can I make these products more profitable um, on the front end of things? So like what I'm paying for, for, for the product, obviously from the factory or supplier directly, and then transportation costs and then storage costs, you know, all that stuff kind of where, where I'm hemorrhaging money or where I could kind of tighten things up to dramatically in some cases, maybe improve my margins. So that's, that's stuff that I'm even dealing with today going, okay, how could I make this business even better? And I definitely agree, man. It's like, if you're constantly doing air shipping and, or you're just constantly having tons of excess inventory that you're paying, um, all these storage costs on wherever it is that you're storing it, man, it's like, that's all, you're all bleeding that. And if you got to, you got to kind of get smarter and, and run a little bit more efficient and, uh, to kind of maximize those margins because, you know, obviously, uh, cost of advertising goes up and things like that. And fees on Amazon always go up. So it's like, you're always getting hit. So, you know, from one way or another on, on increased, increased <laughs> no transportation costs. And obviously with COVID this year, you know, with sometimes the, 
you know, the, the cost would skyrocket for that at times. And then, you know, it just really drain into everybody's margin. So it's like, I think the longer I do this, the more I realize it's like, man, I got to be a little bit more strategic and a little bit smarter on all of these other facets that maybe a while back or early on, I just didn't really think too much about. I just kind of just went with, you know, went with the, uh, with whatever. And I didn't really put a whole lot of, like I said, thought into it, but yeah, that's, it's a really great point. Yeah. And I would, I would also, you know, and I would say this on the factory side, as well as, you know, your freight forward partner or your warehousing partner, you should always have multiple resources lined up as a price comparison, both price and features and benefits perspective, right? So we have multiple freight forwarders that we do business with. We have multiple suppliers. We try to have at least a couple of suppliers for every product that we have, at least that we've talked to and gotten quotes from, if not currently producing from, just to, just to not, tra- not so, so much as to play one against the other, although that's, that could be part of it. It's just keeping everybody honest and making sure you're not getting taken for a ride on cost and service. Yeah, I definitely agree on, especially the freight forwarding part uh, where rates right now are kind of all over the place at times. I mean, we're entering peak season, so there's, you know, definite uh, uptick at this point, but uh, just always having, I always have a handful of freight forwarders I can kind of compare on. And sometimes they're very, very in line with each other on rates on everything. And then there are times recently, actually, I I needed uh, some quotes and they were dramatically different. I mean, it was crazy how different it was. And I even had to like double back and go, are you sure this is your rate? Like it's exceptionally high. And, you know, if, if I were to just kind of only had one freight forwarder and just trusted that, Hey, they're giving me the, you know, really good rate. And I am just going to deal with it, man, I'm just going to be losing money. So yeah, that's really important. And, and like you said, you kind of, yeah, you don't want to necessarily play them against each other, but at the same time, you kind of want to have a good idea of keeping them honest and, you know, just making sure that you're, you're saving money as well, because this, this is where you save your margins and things like that and the transportation costs. So. Yeah. And I mean, it can just be as simple. I mean, for when you're getting started to have like one freight forward or partner, and then at least be comparing to like something like Fredo's um, and getting multiple quotes from their platform. It's just, just a check, right? Just a quick check um, where you're not having to call a lot of people to, or, or figure that sort of thing out. Fredo's is a really good platform for at least evaluating a number of different freight forwarding partners. Um, obviously there's, there's an upcharge there too, because they have to pay Fredo's fee, but um, it's just a good, good, just sound check on what's working and what's not within that space and what's, what's, what's reasonable from a both air and sea perspective. So um, Joe, what are you most excited about in your business right now? Like what are you working on that's kind of got you jazzed up? So, you know, I think where we are right now is just really how to scale, right? And it's, it's how to scale our assortment and our brands to be bigger within the, within the current, we'll just say Amazon US portfolio. But um, where we spend a lot of time and energy, and I think we were talking about it before the call, is really on all the other marketplaces. And I'll consider, when I say that, I will also say I consider Amazon International other marketplaces because uh, cumulatively, cumulatively, they're not very, very big in total. Amazon's still you know, more than 90% of our business. But all of those offer diversification and opportunity to, you know, build out our brand and from a larger perspective, both, you know, in the consumer mindset, um, as well as um, just giving us opportunities to try to figure out where, where we could be successful with our products. Um, and so that, that's where we've, we've been spending most of our time is, you know, growing those other marketplaces and growing our assortments. 
Okay. Um, so you're on Amazon, but you said you were in multiple different uh, Amazon markets across the world. And um, also too, we were talking, you are currently selling on platforms like Walmart. I think you said eBay, Etsy as well, right? So there's, there's a whole host of uh, options that you have available that you're currently marketing your products and on, on the platforms, right? Absolutely. Yeah. We, uh, right now we sell on, uh, amazon.ca. Uh, we're in the UK. We, we were, uh, doing the, the, uh, the UK where you ship product into the UK and ship it to Europe. Um, but now with the Brexit thing happening in December, we are now going to start shipping into, uh, into Germany also to supply the rest of the EU. Um, and then we're also in UAE and Japan on our products. So um, some of those are still growing pains a little bit. They're not definitely, obviously there's some language, there's a language barrier in the Japan market and some of the EU markets. Um, but uh, it's, you know, trying to figure those out, what products work best in those markets. Cause it doesn't, it's not always one for one in the EU, not even one for one. It's not even always a pro, pro rata, the same within those markets. We have some items that do better in those markets that don't do as well in the U S comparative to the rest of our sort. So it's just trying to figure out those mixes, um, trying to market better in those markets also um, can be a challenge, especially when there's a language barrier. Uh, the keyword, the keyword uh, research and pay-per-click on a, on a uh, manual basis are much more challenging when you don't understand the languages. So, so, you know, just some growing pains on that front, um, but it's exciting and it's, you know, you can see, you know, you can see the fruits of your labor when they, when you start selling products in the, in those markets, it's really good. And then uh, on the U.S. side, other other marketplaces, um, we've been selling on Etsy and Walmart. Uh, we talked about um, we're doing fulfillment on a deliver for for Walmart um, for the Walmart two day tag, which is which we've ramped up in the last couple months. And then the rest of the marketplaces, Etsy, eBay, Shopify, and we're just starting to online Google, Google shopping, all of that fulfillment is coming from Amazon directly. Um, so leveraging our Amazon inventory to fulfill those other markets versus placing inventory in another location. So, so, so we were talking, you were, we were talking, there was a tool that you're using to kind of, I guess, port or uh, get your, your Amazon listings over to a lot of these other platforms. So I think we should just talk about that briefly. What was that tool that you're using? Yeah, we use a, we use a piece of software called listing mirror. Um, and listing mirror basically takes all of the images, uh, description, keyword or uh, bullet point content from Amazon and ports it into item listings in each of those marketplaces. So it's, you know, for someone like for a, for a team like us who have, you know, a hundred plus items, basically moving those all into those other marketplaces without having to build out each listing individually. Um, it's definitely a time saver. Obviously they don't get it perfect. There's, you know, there's things that don't port, port exactly well between each system. So you, you do have to massage some things a little bit in between, but it definitely gives you a good, uh, a good start for getting your listings up in those marketplaces. And then it syncs the inventory from Amazon into those marketplaces. So you can, you know, you can, you're always you're only going to ship what you have in stock. You'll even put a safety stock buffer in there if you're concerned about that. So that's that's nice. And then also what we do is they also are partner at delivers. So basically all of our fulfillment goes through listing mirror into either Amazon fulfillment or deliver fulfillment and fulfills from the, one of those two channels, one of those two inventory channels. 
So that's awesome there. Uh, so you guys might want to check that out. I, I guess just kind of what I've, what I've learned over the years is, you know, if you have success on Amazon, let's just say, let's just say you're just selling one product and you, it's successful. You're, you're doing well with it. Well, your goal at that point should be to get that product in front of as many eyeballs as possible, even beyond the Amazon scope, or maybe that's taking it internationally on Amazon and, you know, scaling it that way. But there's all these other platforms kind of popping up. And yeah, we do know that they're nowhere near where Amazon is at, is at this point. But if you have, let's say Walmart or you have Etsy or you have Google or Shopify and or whatever, uh, your job really as a business owner should be to get it on these other platforms so that other people can see it. Cause not everybody, you know, shops on Amazon exclusively all the time. And that's just kind of what I've learned. And, and yeah, obviously, um, platforms like Walmart or whatever, you know, again, they're nowhere near where Amazon is at, at, at this point. But, um, I think, you know, it's all growth in the long run. We look at this pandemic and everything is at accelerated speed, pushing kind of away from the brick and mortar stuff towards this e-commerce stuff. And, you know, I, I'm seeing a lot of these other platforms like, like Google as an example, I just started, uh, started putting some products on, on Google as well. Uh, I'm not good at it. I don't really know what I'm doing yet. I haven't invested the, the proper time into uh, making it successful yet, but it's kind of opening my eyes, Joe, as far as just like, man, there's so much other opportunity, so many other opportunities out there to get my products that I know are successful on Amazon into the hands or at least in front of the eyeballs of all these other people all over the world, really. And uh, I think that's what excites me most. And one of the things I've, you know, if you guys have been listening to my podcast for a while, I preach like real estate, like it's all about real estate once you have that successful product. So if you're selling exclusively on Amazon, man, it's just about real estate. Get that product everywhere you possibly can on those pages, whether, you know, through pay-per-click or, or whatever. And it's the same kind of mentality. Once you have success with a product, get it in front of as many eyeballs as you can and as front of many people as you can across the world or whatever. You obviously said that you're in all these other countries and things like that. And yeah, it's, it, you know, there are learning curves or there are things you're going to have to deal with when it comes to language barrier or whatever. But uh, I think once you kind of figure that stuff out, man, you could really scale things to the moon with, uh, you know, even just a few successful products. I mean, you have, you said about a hundred, right? Yeah, we do. We have about a hundred items right now. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I think, uh, I think, you know, as we were talking though, that, you know, your, your focus probably is predominantly Amazon at this point. There are these other platforms that are generating a little bit of money. And you said it was Amazon's about 90% of your business at this point. Is that what you kind of mentioned? Yeah, roughly 90%. Yeah. So in the long run, though, I think you're kind of building that, you know, some of these other platforms as they kind of emerge, like the Walmarts and Google, if, if that stuff really takes off, you know, you'll kind of have a, a head start on things. So what are your thoughts on that in general, what I just said? I, I, you know, I couldn't agree more. I think uh, being in those other marketplaces, once you've built a base on Amazon US is very important. I think diversification is, is key. I think all of those other marketplaces are doing a lot of heavy lifting from a spend perspective to try to to try to take on Amazon to a certain extent. And I think they, you know, I know Walmart's investing heavily in the e-commerce to try to take, to try, try to try to keep relevant in the e-commerce space and maintain their share of the U S retail climate. Um, I mean, you hear all the time about like Shopify's, uh, always investing in their space, creating partnerships with Facebook, et cetera, to grow their base. Google's also eyeing the prize and I think they want a piece of it and they're gonna to continue to invest. And I think, you know, everybody's gonna to continue to invest for, you know, the, the hearts and minds of the US consumer. And, you know, things have been flow over time. And, you know, the, 
whoever's on top today won't be on top 100 years from now, likely, right? If you look back 100 years ago, you know, Sears was probably the number one guy on the block. And now look where they are, right? So I don't know that Amazon's going to go away at the end of uh, the, 20, the, the, 20, the 2000s, but I would venture to say there'll be somebody else out there that will be, be really relevant. And you have to, you have to kind of be able to be nimble and work with these different marketplaces to try to understand where the trends are going. So um, you said you have about a hundred products you're kind of managing. How do you, I mean, how, how active are you in finding new products at this point? Obviously you said early on, you, you essentially just, uh, you went on a website, was it Flippa or Empire Builders? And you bought a couple of existing businesses that had preloaded products essentially. But how do you uh, pay attention to what new products to add? Like, what does that look like for you? And how often are you adding new products to your um, portfolio? So for 2020, we'll have launched, I think, by the end of the year, 28 items, including a new brand. Um, so it's, we're pretty active, right? So that's a you know, you know, roughly a 25% increase, 30% increase over where we were at the end of uh, 2019. So um, a lot of that is taking, most of that is taking existing successful brands and doing brand extensions, whether that's, uh, whether that's variations on existing ASINs or new ASINs that are, are new like parent ASINs that we know will be successful because our, they're successful within the space um, with other players. Um, so that, that's kind of our, been our approach, just looking at the marketplace, looking what's successful, leveraging our already uh, sizable brands to kind of launch additional extensions within those brands. Do you have certain criteria that you can maybe share, share that are important. That's important to you with maybe somebody that's looking to launch their first product that's listening right now. Like you obviously have some experience in this and are successful with it. But again, if I'm listening to this podcast and I'm just looking for product number one, maybe what, what sorts of tips or advice could you give me? Well, you know, obviously you have to leverage existing, you know, there, there's a lot of software out there that does a lot of research on, on categories and items that are successful within categories. I think it's really important that you're entering categories with some scale, um, meaning they already have some traffic and footsteps. Obviously that's, that's like a no brainer. That's like Amazon private label 101. Um, I think that, you know, not trying to stay away from the biggest competitors on the block and trying to find, you know, an, an, uh, items that potentially have, uh, other features and benefits that you can call out that don't hit those other competitors head on or it's probably the way to go trying to build around where you know someone's weakness is whether that's within the reviews or where, where you perceive there might be a, a good add-on to something so that's definitely those are all tactics that we that we utilize when we launch new ASINs um, I think that trying to enter into more niche marketplaces that don't have a lot of keyword traffic can be very challenging. Um, you know, if there, you know, if there's one or two successful items in a niche that doesn't get a lot of traffic, you're not, you're going to get just a, sh a small share of already small niche. So finding something, finding a niche that has a lot of eyeballs already is really important. Um, and then, you know, you know, trying to leverage, you know, all the tools necessary to launch items, whether that's, you know, you know, 
uh, fairly substantial pay-per-click identifying identifying uh, key like long tail keywords and things like that up front before you even launch an item is very important before you even buy an item is very important because you have to understand what your launch strategy is from day one versus reading reacting to poor sales um, after the fact so Okay. And let's talk about launch strategy for a second. So obviously when you're dealing sometimes with a lot of items that may be a little challenging to do that effectively or whatever, but uh, what are some tips on uh, launching products? I mean, let's say you did the research products got, you know, hits most of the check boxes that you should. Uh, What are you specifically doing or using to launch products? Do you have an existing audience or do you, what's your strategy? So we haven't done a great job. I'm not, I'm not going to lie. We have not done a great job building out um, our own audiences to this point. We do have a Shopify site, but most of that's a redirect directly to Amazon. Uh, we could do better there. I think we need to do better that there moving forward. Part of it's just time and energy, right? Where, where are we going to, where are we going to put our focus? Right. When it comes to launching. I think it's, it's, it's obviously leveraging Amazon pay-per-click. Um, it's obviously, it's obviously leveraging, uh, long, like I said, longer tail keywords initially and trying to build up some traffic on longer tail keywords manually. Also running Amazon uh, paper auto, auto campaigns to try to figure out where you're converting. And, and then once you're converting at a decent clip and a profitable click, moving those over to manual campaigns also, those are all important. And then from a review perspective, trying to leverage, you know, early reviewer program is a no brainer. Um, to pay $60 for five reviews is a no brainer. Um, if you have access to Vine, that's, that can also be very successful. We've had some good success with a couple of our items on Vine. Um, there's a finite amount of ASINs you can you can actually use on Vine, so you have to be careful with that. I have heard they've given additional slots once you've exhausted your initial five. So uh, I, we haven't gotten the, another round of five. So I, I don't I can't I can't say that's definitely going to happen for you, but I think that's important. Um, and then for 2021, we're, we're probably going to invest more in the Facebook uh, mini chat flow marketing for some of our launches. We haven't done that today, but we probably will do that in 2021. So a lot of your, what you just talked about is you're just relying a lot on Amazon's, I guess, infrastructure to launch products with pay-per-click, targeted pay-per-click and uh, using some of their, their review programs to kind of get off the ground, right? And that's been working well for you. It may, I, think it's a, I think there's been some mixed success with that. Um, I'm not gonna lie to you. There's been some, some ASINs that have done very well. I would say we're probably like at a 50% um, success rate right now with the ASINs that we've launched in 2020. Obviously there's some p- pandemic noise in there and some logistics noise in there, et cetera, varying reasons for some of our challenges. Um, I think, you know, some of the item limit, uh, inventory limit challenges have, have really hurt some of our launches because you'll get traction initially and then you run out of inventory and then you're waiting for stuff to get back into Amazon. That has definitely uh, handcuffed us to a certain extent on a couple of, a couple of items. Um, I think, you know, like I said, some of the noise around the pandemic has definitely hurt some of our items initially. So I wouldn't say we've been hundred percent successful. I think what we've done is we've learned what, you know, over time, what hasn't worked for us and we're trying to stay away from those. I think we get too broad into the parent child variation. Uh, uh, once you get too many variations that can be problematic. Um, I definitely don't think you get nearly the benefit to variations, 
um, after you get beyond like four or five as you did when you probably launched your first two you, or three after. Well, I've been thinking about that. Um, you know, when I shop as, I, I, I'm just, I don't know if this is the angle uh, you were thinking of, but um, when I'm a consumer and when I look at a listing for a product or something like that, and I see that some, some listings have like a zillion variation or let's just say color options or whatever. Mm-hmm. I look at that and it almost from a consumer perspective, it drives me away sometimes because Absolutely. I look at it. I'm like, Oh my God, it's paradox of choice. Like what, how do I handle? There's like 30 different colors I can choose from here, which sounds great, but it almost makes me confused as, as like a potential buyer on a listing. And a lot of times I'm like, Oh, that's too much to think about. Like kind of streamline it for me, make it simple or whatever. So I've kind of thought about that, about variations. People, you know, obviously I, I have variations. I think most sellers would or should, um, I definitely recommend it, but I think, yeah, there's gotta be a point where having too many variations, no matter if it's sizes or colors or whatever may actually be kind of a negative thing. Do you, are you, you said you're kind of seeing that? I def- we've definitely seen it with um, ASINs where we've gone too deep, um, where, some, where we thought some of the uh, like color variations would work um, and should work. But once we get beyond, like I said, four or five or six, it really, it just becomes noise, I think, to your point, for a consumer. I think, um, the, I mean, the flip side of that is, you know, obviously, it, you know, ch- ch- child ASINs get the benefit of the parent reviews. So if you have a good parent with good reviews, you would think that it would work versus relaunching a new ASIN on its own, right? Right. I think, you know, I, I, I don't. I don't have a definitive answer there. I, I know we haven't had as much success when we've broadened out our ch- child ASINs. Um, gotcha. As we would have thought. Yeah, I know for, for some of my products, I try to keep the variations tight, like, you know, very streamlined on, and you obviously you can test. So like, I don't know if you're doing a color as an example and it, it just doesn't take off, then just work, you know, just sell through the, the inventory and get rid of it and take it off of there and then try a different color. You know, like a lot of times your audience or your customers will tell you what they want in the long run. They'll say, Hey, I wish they made this in pink or whatever. You get enough people saying that, okay, that's the new variation that we'll try. doesn't necessarily mean it's going to work, but, um, yeah, I just, I just wanted to throw that out there. I, I, I think about these kind of weird things <laughs> as I'm like searching and these are the stupid things I think about sometimes. I'm like, hey, how many variations is right? You know, is sometimes too many of them going to be a bad thing. And I just thought it was kind of interesting that you mentioned that because I was like having that conundrum a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. And I mean, it, 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 it's interesting because, you know, your shopping experience is also entirely different on, on mobile versus desktop. And obviously there's more mobile shoppers and, but ASIN shopping um, variations on mobile isn't, isn't as easy to do, right? Because if you ever, if you've ever dealt with that interface, it's just, it's not, it's harder to search and look at all the different ASINs. They're there, but the, it, it's just not as, it's not as in your face as, mm-hmm. as, as a desktop, uh, Variations. So I, you know, I wonder if as more as people are converting more on mobile, if that's where some of the decline would be. Um, also, you get the the order of the variations becomes important. So, like if you, you know, I think I think right now Amazon uh, sorts it all alphabetically. So if you put if you for some reason launch a child variation with a a letter that would put it ahead of maybe your best selling, you could see issues there too. Interesting. Um, so you just have to be mindful of that. Um, yeah, yeah. All those little details do matter. Um, so we were talking uh, before the call, kind of like what, like your area of expertise. Obviously, you you know you kind of have this A to Z thing on Amazon. You're you're there's a lot of different hats to wear or whatever. But your past, 
you and your wife's past life uh, as working in brick and mortar retail, um, you guys obviously got a little taste of you know being buyers or I think that was you or your wife or whatever and and dealing with um, you know negotiating and things like that and that kind of helped you in a certain avenue when it came to this e-commerce business that you have built. So I kind of wanted to dive into that. Um, you know, obviously people listening right now, they need to find factories or suppliers. And you know, a lot of cases it's China or, you know, maybe Vietnam or India or wherever, maybe in the U S. Um, but I kind of wanted just to, just to dive into that for a minute here and have you kind of just share some things that you've learned either through your past life and kind of where you're at right now to help the listeners out there in maybe finding good suppliers or negotiating or, you know, getting better prices or, or whatever it is that you kind of picked up along the way that's really helped your skill set. So if you wouldn't mind, maybe just share, uh, share some guidance with the listeners out there on, on those subjects. Yeah. So, you know, as, as I was, I, I was the buyer in the family. Um, my wife was the marketer. So, um, so I, I do have a lot of background in, in sourcing and buying and, you know, Prior to prior to working on Amazon, I think I had been to Hong Kong and China, China about twelve or thirteen times in, in prior lives and prior roles. I've obviously dealt with the culture there and dealt with buying from factories there. And I have, you know, obviously having contacts there uh, helps also friends and contacts. Um, and we've we've actually we're dealing with factories today that I dealt with in in that in those prior lives. So that's obviously that's, that's almost like an unfair advantage and that wouldn't be, it wouldn't be fair to like, you know, you know, for your new, for your new sellers to try to even think they could emulate that. Right. Um, but I think, you know, there's some, some real, some foundational things from how you're dealing with specifically, uh, Chinese suppliers, um, or Chinese factories is you really should be thinking about things from a relationship perspective. Um, that's how, that's how, most in that country like to do business. Uh, they don't like, you know, there, there are certain people that will want to deal transactionally um, and, they'll, and they'll take it, especially when times are hard. But I think you'll, you'll benefit in the long run from building a relationship with a supplier over there. And that could be just as simple as asking about their family, how their family's doing. It could be as simple as, you know, not being straight into the point around price, which, which comes off as almost a negative thing right off the bat. Um, it's just, how, how do you build that rapport back and forth? Because you don't want to just buy one item. You want to, you want to, you want to build this relationship and then take that into, you know, what else is selling well for that supplier? You know, what, where are they have, what other successes are they having that you may not even be aware of? And, and you want to become that kind of person they go to when they, when they have a good idea and they want to launch something in your marketplace. So I think, you know, a relation, building that relationship and that rapport is very important from, from day one and then maintaining it should be a primary goal all along. Obviously, getting good costing is important. That affects your bottom line and your margins. But I tend to find that um, when you get too tight on cost negotiation, other things slip, whether that's quality or whether that's your lead times or some other element. You begin to, you be, begin to degrade the relationship to a certain extent. That's not to say you can't keep people honest and get other cost quotes from other suppliers and make sure that people are treating you fairly. But I think once you build that relationship, which is most important, 
the rest of it sort of comes. And I've found that to be my experience both in prior lives and today. Um, so that would be my number one thing. Um, and then I just touched on it a second ago, having multiple resources for products for single products or product lines is very important. Um, I think I learned that very on as a, as a buyer when I was, uh, you know, one of the areas I used to buy was bicycles and, you know, bicycles in the United States for major retailers or, you know, there's only like four or five big players in that space. And, you know, each one would be trying to take all of our business at one point and be our only supplier. But that wasn't very smart because you always had to keep everybody honest. So I think one of the, you know, one of the things we try to do is keep, you know, keep um, multiple suppliers always in play and kind of, you know, keeping everybody honest. So I, I would say, don't take your first quote and run with it. I think you should always get multiple quotes from multiple suppliers. And then obviously going back to what I said earlier is then you build the relationships once you find those suppliers. Yeah. I, I learned, uh, I think I shared this on the podcast years ago, but I learned a, a valuable lesson in what you just said. Uh, I, this fluke thing happened with this factory that I was doing a lot of work with and I was kind of solely relying on them and everything was great, right? There was, everything was fine. And, um, it was years ago and all of a sudden, I, I don't know how this happened, but all of their equipment or a lot of their equipment just broke, like it went down and, uh, orders, they, they couldn't complete orders, not just for me, but for anybody else. And they had no way to fix some of these things. They're waiting on parts. I mean, it was a big mess. And I was even on the phone with like the, the factory manager and, and, uh, it was a big disaster. And it led, uh, bottom line is it led to me being out of stock on, on a lot of items for a long period of time. And um, wasn't obviously happy about that, but that was kind of like a big wake up call of, man, I should probably have a few other factories here that I could kind of tap into um, just in case so that I'm always up and running. So, you know, that was kind of important to me. And yeah, obviously you can, you can kind of gauge pricing then and, and, and whatnot. And something I've always shared with the listeners as well is, you don't always want to go for the lowest price. So like that's sometimes maybe, but it's not always something you should be shooting for. And you don't want to beat them over the head on price. Like, like you mentioned, because that does degrade the relationship, but they're always going to cut costs some in some other way though. So I found that some of the suppliers that have, that I've gone with that, that have had really, really low prices there. You're, you're sacrificing something along the way. You're sacrificing like you said, lead time or quality or packaging or materials or whatever. Like they're, they're not, you know, they're not dumb. Like they're like, Hey, you want this price? Okay. We're going to, we're going to make it up on our end here, here, and here and, and whatever. So you have to take that into consideration of, you know, how, how is your customer going to perceive that product then? Yeah. You might be getting a, a stud deal on it, but what are the reviews going to amount to at the end of the day? And everything is so review based. So, you know, that, that's something that people have to take into consideration. Um, I, I work with, I work with factories that I know I'm paying a little bit more per unit. And sometimes I'm okay with that just because I know that the service that I get is top notch, that I'm a priority to them. You know, I spent a lot of money with them and they kind of offer me so much more than just ordering products. Like they're, they're helping me out. They're trying to help me grow my business, you know, cause I'm, I'm, you know, spending money with them and things like that. And it's a long-term investment for both parties. So uh, yeah, there's, there's so much more than just what you're paying per unit. And I think a lot of times that's what we want to go for. Oh, who's, oh, they're offering me $2 a unit and this guy's offering me, you know, two fifty a unit or something like that. You don't always have to go with the lowest. You can obviously use these numbers as negotiations at some point and, you know, kind of 
pay what you want to pay, but yeah, there's that relationship stuff. And, you know, like, um, you know, just sharing, sharing stuff about your personal life and asking them about their personal life and things like that. I mean, I think once you kind of do that, you know, all a lot of the, all, a lot of these other doors open up for you and these reps or whoever it is that you're dealing with, they're going to like you a lot more if you, if you build rapport with them, you know, when it comes to like needing something done quicker, like a job, like, Hey, can you get this rushed a little bit faster for me? Like I'm running, running a little low on stock. They're going to be a little bit more likely to help you out if they actually like you, you know, like if you're nice to them, if you, if you share information, if you have rapport and you know what I mean? Like that, that's all, it's all part of the picture, right? So important. So important. I mean, and I, and, and I've taken it the other way too. Like I, I've, I've gotten trans, you know, you learn this over time. You don't always learn this day one. Right. Um, you know, I've gotten very transactional with suppliers and I've gotten, you know, put in the back of the line for getting, you know, getting my order and I, I won't get shipped something for 90 days, you know? And, and then, so then you're talking like, you know, you know, four and a half, five months before you actually see the product. And it's, it, you, you reflect back on why is that? And you know, you know, the, the, the factory is putting other product on the floor and selling it to other people, right? Because you see it, you see it wherever you see it. And you know that you probably took it too far, right? You, 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 you didn't live up to the relationship. And I think, you know, it just becomes very important over time for sure. Awesome. Um, yeah, sorry, I went off on a tangent there of my own, but uh, are there any other uh, tips or guidance, uh, you know, that, that we didn't cover that you, you thought of or, or that pretty much nails it? Well, you know, and I think it's, it's a no-brainer, you know, it's hard in the beginning when you're just getting started and you're, you're just beginning your journey to even think about, you know, a transatlantic flight and, you know, and getting to a factory or getting to a, a trade show in China, because, but, you know, the face-to-face is very important in that culture, um, you know, breaking bread or, or, or having a shot or whatever it may be becomes very important. And that's, you know, it's, it's hard to, it's hard to get that through Alibaba chat or WeChat or however you're communicating is that kind of face to face. And I do think that it's, it's work once you get, you know, once you get to a certain point, it's almost critical that you do it. Obviously this year has made it more challenging than most, but um, once things open back up, I'll be on, we'll be back on a flight and over at Canton Fair and seeing our factories, et cetera. What have you, I've, I've never been over there. Um, what did, what's one thing that you found that was just fascinating about the culture? Um, you know, the, the um, dim sum lunches are always very, uh, a very good activity to, to partake in with, with your Chinese suppliers or the order, you know, multiple items from a menu and they put it on that big, turnstile in the middle of the table and and rotate it around and you'll try a lot of different uh chinese dishes and i think you obviously have a lot of good conversation and you, you can kind of act like a, you know the, the the american who doesn't know very much and, <laughs> and, and they'll try to help you out with with, with your uh with your food ordering and your, your tasting options so um and all that helps build that relationship that we just talked about right because you know, you know, be not being always being the hard guy all the time and, and, and uh, beating people up in price, but actually having like a soft underbelly and, you know, being a little, uh, a little um, more congenial in those environments is definitely worth the time and effort for sure. Awesome. So uh, Joe, this is, this has been awesome information here. Uh, you obviously, uh, how, how many, you've been doing this for a few years, but uh, how long has it been since you kind of you and your wife left your corporate jobs? 
Uh, we, we, we left and bought, we actually overlapped a little bit. We, uh, we had purchased our first business um, while we were still working. Um, so we've been, we've been at this, like I said, it'll be two years in December. Do you, uh, just a I just, curiosity question here. Um, do you miss the corporate life at all? Or are you very content with where you're headed? Um, we're very content with what we're doing. I would never want to go back. I think obviously the, you know, working from home all the time and, you know, not seeing as many coworkers from a social perspective, I think has been challenging. And it, it, it probably was more challenging in 2019 before the pandemic. Now everybody's doing this, right? Whether you work in a corporate job or doing mm-hmm. what we're doing, everybody's working from home, right? So, um, but I think, you know, obviously the around the water core conversations or the, the happy hours after work and dealing with friends. I mean, we still have friends in, in those places where we worked and we still talk to them, but I think, you know, that, that's, that's something that we obviously miss. Your social life definitely, definitely goes down to a certain extent if you're not dealing with other people on a regular basis. Right? Yeah. Yeah. I've talked a lot about that on the podcast and I'm always just curious, you know, like it's, um, there's pros and cons to everything that you do. And, uh, you know, for people listening right now that, you know, if you guys want to get to where Joe's at to leave that corporate grind that, you know, it isn't working out for you. Yeah, that's definitely a goal. If you really want to go for it, you know, e-commerce offers that opportunity. And I wish you all the the, the best of, of luck and success to, to hit that goal. But yeah, there's pros and cons. So there are times where I do miss coworkers and, and going and working, let's say on a team in person with people. So, so I just, I'm always just kind of curious on that stuff. It, you know, you, you at least you have your wife right there. So, I mean, working on your business with you. So I suppose that's kind of fun in a way, but I know a lot of us, you know, if we're just working on stuff by ourselves, a lot of times, yeah, it does get a, it does get a little lonely from time to time. And that's where like, you got to hit up your local Starbucks and become a regular just so you kind of get out and about or whatever. But I just wanted to, I guess, throw that out there. I guess I was just curious on, on that from your, from your perspective. So. Yeah. And I mean, I am really fortunate. My wife, really compliments me from a lot of different perspectives. She's, she does a lot of things really well that I don't do well and I do things well that she doesn't do well. And I think that the combination of the two definitely has made this a much more successful venture than probably most people just starting from scratch in their, in their home office. Um, so I, you know, when I, I'm definitely fortunate to get to do that with, with my partner. Very cool. Very cool. Um, so what, what kind of, kind of rounding third base here, uh, what, you know, just a little last, last minute advice here. So somebody's listening right now and they want to have success or, you know, they're, they're just kind of spinning their wheels, maybe on their first product or whatever. Any, any, uh, words of wisdom, any, uh, bits of advice that we didn't already cover that you could maybe share with that listener right now that wants to kind of, kind of make this happen. They want to be successful. So I think you have to focus on, uh, doing one thing at a time becomes very important in the beginning. Um, I think we talked a lot about a lot of different uh, activities, a lot of different marketplaces, a lot of different ways to expand your business. But I would say, you know, doing your, doing your product research first, focusing on that, getting your, getting your first order in, focusing on that, then working on listing optimization, focus on that, then work on pay-per-click or work on, sorry, then work on, finding a freight forwarder or two and getting quotes, you know, knock each thing off the list rather than researching 20 different things at one time become very, very important um, in a, in a step-by-step manner. I would also say, you know, we talked about all these different marketplaces. Um, I would say get, get a really solid foundation on Amazon us first. 
Um, it's really the 80-20 rule there. Um, you know, every item that you launch on Amazon will be incremental and will be sizable versus trying to expand into Walmart. You'll be driven, you know, you'll be doing nickels and dimes on those, on those other platforms when you could be researching one more new item and doubling your business, you know, or something like something along those lines. If you go from one to two, much more important to go to the second item on Amazon US then take your first item into seven different marketplaces. You'll get bogged down in the red tape of trying to figure that out. Much better just trying to get your second item on Amazon US and then your third and then your fourth. I would say probably get your first 10 items Amazon US and then assess the others before expanding into some of the other marketplaces. That's such uh, sound and great advice. I could not agree with you more, man. That's, that's really helpful. I know... Um, Oftentimes, even for me, when I was starting out a long time ago, I would, uh, even before I even actually launched a product, I'm sitting there trying to learn pay-per-click and like watch videos on that and going crazy with that. It's like before I even actually launched my first product. So, you know, I was definitely scatterbrained at the time. And, and uh, that advice that you gave there, just focusing on one step at a time, I think is extremely important and kind of just, you know, the 80-20, like you mentioned, Amazon US, if that's the platform you want to play on just kind of build that core out around that first before you start to uh, dive into Walmart or all these other opportunities out there. Like that stuff can wait the way I see it. That can wait, just be successful on Amazon US first and then go from there. So um, great advice there, Joe. Now, Joe, uh, this has been a pleasure, man. Uh, Very, very happy that uh, you could join us here on the show today. Uh, Where can people find you? Um, I I know you probably don't have this like a website or anything like that that people can find you, but could they find you on Facebook or or LinkedIn or? Yeah, I'm I'm a member of a number, including a number of different Facebook groups, um, including yours. I try to comment occasionally here and there, um, so I'm definitely easy to find if you look if you look for me on Facebook. Um, that's probably the best way. You can you can either private message me or or uh, that's probably the best way to get a hold of me would be would be through that channel. Okay, cool. LinkedIn, I, I'm on LinkedIn also. Um, it may not be as easy. There's probably, I mean, Joe Parker is a pretty, pretty common name. Yeah. There's <laughs> a lot of you. There's a, LinkedIn, you might come up with like uh, 40 yeah. different people. So. Yeah. There's a lot of you guys out there. <laughs> 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 cool, man. Yeah. Well, uh, guys, if you're listening and you got questions for Joe, something just hit you and you're like, man, I got to ask him about this or whatever. Um, you know, feel free, obviously just to, you know, if you, if you got a quick question or whatever, something that just hit home or, or whatever. Um, yeah, I'll, uh, um, try to maybe just put that in the show notes, just like a, a, you know, a link or if you guys are in my Facebook group, yeah, just look up Joe Parker or whatever. If you got any questions um, or some business opportunities or networking or whatever it is. So um, open to all of the above. Cool, cool, cool. Awesome. So Joe, I guess we'll, we'll end it on that, my man. I know, uh, you know, you, you got a lot going on right now. You got, uh, you know, business and uh, wedding stuff going on with, uh, you know, with everything on top of the pandemic stuff. So I, I appreciate you taking a few moments out of your busy day and week to join us here. It really means a lot to me. And I know it means a lot to the listeners. So hopefully they gain some valuable insight and a few nuggets that they can kind of run with in their business to help them get to where they want to be. So um, Joe, thank you so much, man. I, I appreciate everything. Yeah. Thank you, Nick. And you know, I, 
I can definitely flash back to like before we even purchased our first Amazon business. And you were, you were one of the prime podcasts that I would listen to in those days, trying to, trying to figure this ecosystem out and trying to figure what it takes to do business on this platform. And you've offered a lot of value to your listeners over, over time. And I really appreciate it. You having me on. Thank you. Oh, that means a lot. Yeah, that's great. So, all right, man, man, we will talk to you later. Have a great rest of the day. You too. Take it easy. Wow, that was a great conversation, Joe. I'm super glad that we did this. Thanks again for your time today. I really appreciate it. I'm sure the listeners appreciated it as well. Now, what I wanted to do is just highlight a few key takeaways from our conversation. So key point number one, Joe really emphasized the importance of building real relationships with your factories, your suppliers, with your reps, and uh, really try not to be so transactional about everything. Focus on building rapport and treat your rep or your factory as you know real people because they are. And you know you can do things like ask them about themselves, share a little bit about yourself and your life, share some photos, just things going on in your life. All that will pay off in the long run. When I don't know, sometimes you you might want to ask them about renegotiating pricing or maybe getting an order completed sooner. So all that stuff will pay off in the long run. So focus on building that rapport and relationships with your factories. So key point number two, Joe stressed the importance of getting multiple shipping quotes because prices can definitely be all over the place, especially right now in Q4. I'm seeing just wildly fluctuating prices amongst um, freight forwarders and things like that. And obviously, uh, as Joe mentioned, you can use Fredos.com to help assist with this, and you can even book right through Fredos. Yes, they are a sponsor of the show. And finally, key point number three, Joe really stressed the importance of staying focused in on Amazon.com US when you first get started before you start thinking about all of these other platforms that are emerging or other markets that you can kind of go into. So you did talk about the 80-20 rule, kind of the best rate of your return, the best bang for your buck is to focus like a laser on launching a handful of successful products on amazon.com us and then once you kind of uh, get some experience and get some success then you can start thinking about other platforms or scaling those products to other markets around the world so i thought that was some really great advice there to keep you focused uh, at the task at hand. So uh, that about does it for today's episode, everybody. I hope you guys enjoyed the show today. I had an absolute blast putting this one together. Now I'm going to encourage you guys to go take some action in your business to help you achieve the success that you are looking for. Now, if you are having success in e-commerce and you want to share your story on my show, just as Joe did, then please reach out to me. Reach out to me uh, from the Facebook group or send me a message or send me an email through my website at privatelabelershow.com. I would absolutely love to hear from you. And uh, just to kind of uh, wrap it all up here, make sure you guys subscribe to the show. And again, please leave a review on iTunes if you have not yet done so already. So that about does it, everybody. Have a great rest of the day. Go get after it. I'm rooting for you. Talk to you later. Bye. This episode of The Private Labeler Show has ended. Please show your support for the podcast by subscribing for more business strategies and tactics to help you build your empire. Also, make sure to leave us a review on iTunes. See you in the next episode.